Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. My new book, Expat Secrets, is doing fantastic on Amazon right now. The book paints a clear picture on how to internationalize your life. We get into how to use the offshore markets to protect your assets, minimize your taxes, and grab yourself a second passport. We talk about the best places to live, the best places to hold your wealth, and the best places to run your business from. At the end of this book, you'll have a much clearer picture of how things fit together and what steps you need to take in your own life to diversify your business, wealth, and life overseas. You can grab a copy on Amazon today by searching Expat Secrets or going to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. You're going to love this conversation. Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the CEO and founder of Glazer Financial Network. Starting out as a bookkeeper at the age of 17, he has proceeded to work in financial services for more than six decades. Just let that sink in for a moment. Together with his son and grandson, they have grown their practice to over 4,000 clients around the world, including the branch of their company, Expat Tax Experts which helps expatriates to figure out their financial situation and stay tax compliant. He travels extensively as a keynote speaker, giving presentations in places like Belize, Mexico, Ecuador, Panama, and all over the United States. Please welcome to the show, Maurice Glazer. Maurice, how are you? I'm doing great, Mikkel. Maury, it's excellent to have you here. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and talk us through how did you get into bookkeeping at 17 and... What made you stay for six decades in this field? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, I, I sort of uh, uh, grew up with, with just my mother. My father was in World War II in Germany and uh, didn't come back to I was seven. But my mother was a big one, if you can believe it, playing cards. And, of course, we get into to, uh, numbers and whatever and... and uh, she she pretty much uh, led me down the road of you know taking care of the house and whatever because even though I was just a little kid she didn't have her husband there I just had some uncles and whatever that hung out uh, once or twice a week so she is the one that sort of led me into being into business thinking about actually playing cards and winning at cards and and numbers and actually you know. In, in the bad part of it, counting cards. Uh, and I just went from there. And then in high school, um, I, I tended to not do a lot of stuff in regard to English or history or things like that, although history one of my favorite topics. But the, 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 the issue came up, okay, what are you going to do in life? And I said, well, I want to be a pharmacist. Because I had cousins making lots of money and being pharmacists, and I wanted to go into into business with them. But unfortunately, both of two of my 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 cousins who owned the pharmacies in Indiana and in southern in, in Chicago, South Chicago, um, both of them got killed. So that option was gone. And then my cousin in Decatur, Illinois, who had a pharmacist, it it just didn't seem to be a fit. So. My, my 
uncle, as I said, my uncles tended to be a good uh, background for me. And we moved to Chicago when I was 10. He was a big engineer, ran an uh, actual locomotive uh, rail, rail yard. And I was telling him I want to be a pharmacist. He says, Maury, no matter what you do, you got to know bookkeeping. Got to, you know, you got to know the business side of whatever you're going to go into. And he had a, I even remember the teacher's name, Wilkerson. He said, you, you got to, you got to take those kind of courses so you know how to keep track of your money and what you're making and whatever. So I took a year of this bookkeeping. Well, shortly thereafter, my uncle's wife, uh, he, uh, she, she, he, he said, I'm going to send you some clients. You think you could do tax returns and stuff? So I study. I'm a big reader. I read every day. And even back then, okay, so I started studying up on bookkeeping and taxes and that kind of stuff. And my cousin, who is an attorney, he, he had an office across the street from my aunt's furniture store uh, in midtown Chicago. And she said, Maury, why don't you office with Mike? And then what what you can do is you'll do what you can do. You know, whatever you make, it will be more than what you make. I, I started working when I was like eight, nine years old. Uh, and really started working when I became 10 when we moved to Chicago. But so when I was older, so I moved in with my cousin and she started sending me actually a lot of international clients. So right from the beginning, you were working with international clients. A- absolutely. They were Spanish speaking individuals, I'm sure, from El Salvador or, or Guatemala or Me- specifically Mexico. And I used I used to they none of them knew, okay, what do we need to do? We get this W two. How do what do we do? And of course unfortunately for me I, ne- I took German, I didn't take uh, Spanish. Uh, but I was able to get along because uh, my cousin and whoever I always found and today I always found someone who spoke pretty good Spanish and English. And so I just started going, and I, I probably had 100 clients that I did tax returns for. And then I started picking up clients for bookkeeping. So, okay, so paint a picture. So what year was this you were doing like 100 tax returns? 1957, 1958. So my mother was born in 1957. <laughs> I, I just I, I like to understand the timeline because I'm, I'm thinking already in my head how much you must have seen the systems that we have in place right now and the laws and the rules that we have in place right now, how much you must have seen them change. Well, not only that, but actually in the same situation we're in today, I, um, you know, when they wrote me up in the Roosevelt University, Chicago University uh, uh, magazine, you know, their annual report, I told them what I do now I can't do it so much now, but when clients, let's say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they come in, what I would do is take them off the phony social security number that somehow they picked up, and I would do an I-10, which is a social security number, and corrected their tax returns, amended them, and then we tried to get them a green card and go on down the road and try to make people legal. Well, even back then, I did that. Because I, I used to tell them, no, you can't use that social security number. You know, at that point, I wasn't real used to doing the IRS stuff. I said, I don't want to deal with the IRS, so let's correct your social security number and start to file the tax returns correctly. And so even back then, the same things that are happening today were happening back then, except there wasn't as much compliance. So that's how I developed it. And... That went went on until uh, my second year of uh, at, well, first year at Roosevelt University. Second, second, I actually went to the University of Illinois, then to Roosevelt University in Chicago, both of those in Chicago, and then I went to Northwestern. And but the second year of college, I ended up working for a CPA who started to give me. Well, he, he, he wouldn't work on certain days, certain holidays. So he said, Maury, we have clients that I can't handle anymore because I can't take care of them and you take care of them. Why don't you just take them over? 
in my senior year, I, I, I was doing pretty well. And I, I had the third highest salary coming out of the university. At, at that point, it was four, I think I got four seventy-five a month. And it was the third highest grade out, uh, salary out of Roosevelt University. So you really hit the ground running. Like a lot of people will stop university and then it's like, all right, now what? You've already been doing this for years. You have real life experience straight off the bat. Well, one of the main reasons, my, my dad came back from the army. He went into the laundry business and one of his sisters spent the money foolishly and the laundry collapsed. They so lost his business and he, eventually he had to move to Chicago and that's why we ended up there because he needed to make a living. And he went into, he was actually in the flea market business. And uh, so it, it was an interesting pattern, but I had to work all that time. But I was helping my mother out. You know, she was sick from the time she was 32 until she passed away at 76. Actually 30. So a double mastectomy, a heart condition, whatever. But anyway, she, she you know, she was my mentor. Uh, my dad just said, "Hey, you just got to work hard. Just keep trying, and you'll you'll make it." And that's why I just you know, I just moved forward. Mother needed money. My dad couldn't give it to her. I gave it to her, and uh, we we just sort of like moved on. And, and then I went to Northwestern University. I wanted to get an MBA in accounting and tax, and that's where my first international. Um, you know, education started, even though the firm that I went to work with, which is now Grant Thornton, uh, it was a local firm, and then they merged into Alexander Bank, which changed their name to Grant Thornton. But uh, I had clients like General Dynamics and uh, Toys R Us and Sarah Lee. And well, Toys R Us are not doing very well these days. They need to get you back. <laughs> well, I wasn't a... Uh, I was I was a senior. I wasn't even a you know. I ended up being what you consider to be a manager uh, as I moved forward. Uh, and I worked for four or five of the large CPA firms and had a lot of large clients that were international in scope. I did Dallas Housing Authority. I did Jupiter, you know, construction companies. So I did a lot of large corporations. Got a lot of touching. On international, and then I went to Northwestern for my master's degree, um, and the Vietnam War had started. And uh, when I was there, the one thing I never forget the fellow's name either, Fox, who was a partner at Alexander Van. It was before we merged, but he failed me on an exam that I got a hundred on. And I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I got a hundred on. I, I know I got a hundred. I aced this test." He says, Maury, you memorized everything. You gotta learn to read. Just, just try to read and try to figure out where you can find the information. He'd be very proud today with computers, but you know, back then, we used to have a hundred books that we had to look through for, for information. So I spent a lot of time studying and I, because I was dealing on all these big clients, I got a taste of the international stuff at the same time. And uh, unfortunately, didn't get to finish my MBA because of the Vietnam War, but, you know, it it was okay. And in 19... 19... By 1970... I think 70... I had a pretty nice accounting practice. 1977... I got tired of accounting and got offered a big job to be a partner in the pension administration company. And so I sold my accounting practice and went into the pension administration business where very good. And they moved me to Dallas, Texas. So the bottom line of all that was, okay, now here I am in Texas and I was in the pension business. So now my, my experience expanded greatly because I, you know, I'm a person who believes You've got a plan to plan. My whole life is a plan that I follow. Okay, what do you do next? What, how do you handle it? And if you really think of the international tax laws, that's what you need to do. You really need to be thinking out. You're going to move to Ecuador. you got to make sure that what your age is. Are you going to have enough money to get back to the States to visit your grandchildren? Are you going to have enough money to get back to Houston to, to have cancer operation? Whatever. You can't just assume you're going to go somewhere 
and not have to come back. And I've had women specifically who haven't been smart enough to save money so they can have airfare coming back to the United States to take care of things. Uh, but the, the bottom line is it, it, it's a really a series of uh, experiences that created the whole international tax situation. And actually, as I told you, uh, I, I helped a, a mortgage broker do the first mortgage in Mexico. Yeah, we were chatting before the interview today, and you told me. So this was literally the first mortgage that was done in Mexico you worked on. Absolutely. And the fellow called me and said, hey, even though this is, I think it was General, one of the big companies, General Electric, they had a mortgage company in California, and they were trying to do the mortgage, and they didn't know what Section 711 was, which is the foreign earned income credit, which is pretty important today. And uh, they couldn't figure out. They said the guy can't afford the condo. He's only making two hundred and seventy-five thousand. He can't afford the condo. And I looked at the tax return. I said, "No, Don, you don't understand. He's got the corner income, but they got to add back that for an exclusion. That's his real income." And and so we got the mortgage approved. And at the same time, where I started my real individual tax practice, uh, Susan Haskins and Dan Presser were running International Living at the time, and Susan had listened to me do a seminar for realtors and the mortgage uh, when I, we were in Puerto Vallarta, and she came to me and she said, Maury, would you mind doing a seminar for me here in Puerto Vallarta, and, and then I would like you to go to San Miguel with me, and that started like a six-year six with international living where I was doing seminars for four or five, six hundred people at a time. And uh, that's where I met Joel Nagel. Mm. Joel is my mentor who's who's been on the show, who's I'm very, very fond of. And he and he really pushed me to the forefront because I was doing seminars. In fact I asked him, I said, why why is everybody asking me to do the seminars? He said, more because you're you're sort of a natural. He says, you're not, you're not someone who starts saying section 502 or whatever. You actually go into life stories. And, uh, and, and that's where it all started. I worked with International Living for five, six years. I got upset at one of their, uh, senior people. Uh, and, and I told Susan and Dan, I said, I can't work with International Living because the fellow who was teaching had a, got kicked out of Congress and I got, I said, I don't want to work with this guy. I don't, I don't like what he did, and I and he was nasty to me. And I told him, "Says stop being nasty." He said, "Well, I checked you out. You're okay." I said, "And I checked you out, and you're not okay." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "That's nasty." I said, "I know, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm a very principled person. I have a lot of young kids that in my family, and I don't like what your problems have been. Anyway, so I." Quit talking to them, and then I got a call from Joel. Joel and Mike Cobb uh, were also at International Living for many years, and they moved uh, their operation to Nicaragua and Belize, and that's where I started speaking with Joel. And uh, of course, that's been going on for a lot of years now. So uh, it, it's, it's been an interesting experience, and. Uh, you know, I look at things uh, differently. I think the main thing in all this international and what I'm doing in my business is I'm trying, I got the one lady who's just really good. Most of my accountants are female, by the way, because you cannot find good accountants. Um, but um, she knows the international stuff really well. My tax manager is Canadian, and he he does a good job. We've done a few of these people who have left their citizenship and moved offshore. Mm, expatriation. Right. And we've, and we've done probably maybe 200 uh, voluntary disclosures, uh, which we've taken all the way through the audit and had everyone cleared. So talk my listeners through voluntary disclosure for those who don't understand or don't know. Well, voluntary disclosure is where you might have been offshore or we have lots of clients who inherited money that's offshore in Switzerland or wherever it might be, and they fail to file their 
foreign bank account, um, foreign bank account, uh, uh, forms where there are 5471s for corporations. They just haven't followed the rule. They're, you know, if you go down the list in the United States, there's probably many, many accountants, tax preparers, attorneys who don't know what the heck is going on in the international market and, and what forms need to be filed. And there, you know, I can't begin to tell you how many accountants CPA say, hey, we don't want to do that. We don't understand the international scene. And that's where we come in and can straighten it out. And those are the voluntary disclosures. So, and, and I think they just stopped. I, I don't remember. I think Teresa told me that they, they're starting the voluntary disclosure program again. But it was supposed to end last September and didn't. So we're still correcting tax returns, correcting, making sure we file the forms and, and moving forward, trying to get everybody compliant. So yeah, my basic understanding of it is you could have money offshore and maybe for many years, the IRS was not coming after you, you know, before things like FATCA were in place. But now it's like you have an opportunity to come clean and uh, file your tax return correctly and show us what's going on before something happens. So even if you were non-tax compliant, you have an opportunity to become compliant and there won't be, uh, I guess, punishment Am I right? Is that kind of a good way to look at it or not right? Not really? Well, I think there's still, of course, tax, interest, and penalties. Just the question of negotiation, and Gary Shearing and myself have done a very good job of getting people out of the bulk of the penalties. You can't get out of the tax that you might owe. Can't get out of the tax that you owe, but the penalties, you can bring them down quite a bit, opposed to if in 18 months the IRS show up at your door and you could actually be soft, uh facing prison time for something like this. In fact, we've had a few people, in fact, more than a few, who have lost their passports now for failure to file and failure to uh, um, report foreign bank accounts, foreign corporations, foreign income, whatever it might be. So we've had, in fact, we're working on right now who she can't get her passport back because of the, the government shutdown. So she, you know, we're, we're trying to get it done. She goes to the IRS and she, because she wouldn't come to Dallas, she, she's down in San Antonio. And my, my associate that works for me down in San Antonio didn't really know the procedure he was. He's smart enough to call me actually. But you got to walk it in and you can talk to the officer of the day and you can get things corrected. But she couldn't get her passport back, which meant she couldn't go back to her, her permanent home in, uh, in South America, so she didn't have a passport. So this is a lady, this is an American citizen who was living overseas as an expat, came back to maybe visit family, visit friends or something like that in the States, and when she arrived, they confiscated her passport? Got off the plane, they grabbed her passport. They had her on the list. And and even though they talk about you got to owe 50000 in tax, I tell everybody, don't believe that. Because if you haven't filed, they don't know how much tax you owe. So they're going to bring you in, take your passport, and audit you to see what income you really made. Well, and, and then I suppose as well, because if they don't really know, they're going to assume the maximum, and that's going to be without any tax breaks. So you're not going to be able to write off anything. Right. They, they, they're getting very tough, and they're getting, I always say, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of respect for most IRS agents. Um, anybody listening who's an IRS agent, I apologize, but I don't think they're getting the education they need to, to really to take care of some of these items that are now going on. And of course, with the new tax law, it's really a disaster. And with the potential of this tax law going down the drain, which could happen, um, by the end of uh, you know, the beginning of 2020, we could have a third tax law, which is really going to create problems because uh, most people aren't reading, most people aren't keeping up with things. So there's a lot of disparity in what's happening here. Okay, so so let's dig into that for a couple of minutes. Talk me through what you imagine will happen, what you think will happen, what maybe we should be prepared for.
I just want to take a quick break here. After I finished recording the conversation with Richard Mayberry, he made a very special offer to all my amazing listeners here at the Expat Money Show. He offered us a 40% off discount on his one-year subscription to Early Warning Report, his financial newsletter that includes 10 timely issues. If you live in the USA, you get it delivered physically to your door and electronically. And if you live overseas like me, he's going to send it to you electronically in a PDF. Every month when my report comes in, I print it out, sit on my balcony with an espresso, and read it all in one sitting. I rely on early warning report to understand how things fit together from that 40,000-foot view, how geopolitics, economics, and law are affecting my money today. Richard Mayberry's writing in early warning report is the closest thing you are going to find to seeing into the future. If you want to learn more about this special opportunity and claim 40% off the cover price of Early Warning Report today, just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash EWR. That's EWR for Early Warning Report. Now what we could be prepared for is going to a system of more tax, higher percentages, and some of the breaks that we have gotten will be disappeared. And uh, that that's a real problem. It could be that they could go back and say, hey, okay, we know that uh, we had the foreign earned income, in, earned income exclusion, and they're changing the number of days that, you know, that where you qualify and they're doing this or doing All that's out the window. We have to go back to a plain vanilla tax system at higher tax rates. So, got, got to... Got to, we got to be smart and we got to be talking to people like yourself and Joel Nagel and me to, to make sure that we're on compliance now and that we're ready for any changes that happen, which means you have to have people that are really staying up with, with uh, the tax changes that could happen, that have changed. And in reality, I, I pay for uh, continuing education courses. We do. Well, right now we're not doing because we've got so many tax returns coming in. Yeah, it's tax season, yeah. Well, not only that, the new tax laws are a disaster uh, because people don't want to study. Mm. You know, you know, they, you know, all I can say is my, my people complain. I said, no, you've got to listen to this stuff because this law is difficult. We have the 20, section 199, which gives a 20% deduction on flow through entities. Of all income, and and the problem is, is even if you don't think you apply, there's things you can do in the planning state. Planning is everything in life, okay. And I don't care if it's the social end, the personal end, the marriage end, or whatever. But on the tax end, it's for sure the most important thing. You got to be planning because there's a ways of setting up pension plans so you can get yourself done down under the limit, which is three hundred fifteen thousand a year income. There's uh, things you can do. I'm very big in family limited partnerships. Uh, I know Joel probably talked about that, but family limited partnerships, I think mean, I consider to be an expert in family partnerships because that way you can potentially have a management company where you can also take some of your income out of your flow through entity and put it in your, your family management company uh, and pay. C corporation, which is the corporation that you pay the 21% tax on, and, and then lower your, your, your partnership or whatever down below the $315,000 limit. So now you can get that 20% reduction in gross income. So there's so much to do in planning. Uh, that, that, that actually has been my claim to fame is helping people plan on what to do. I had, had this young Mexican fellow who's been my client for 15 years, maybe more. And he came in and he, he hadn't filed, well, he filed tax returns, but using someone else's social security number. And, and I said, no, 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 this is not going to go. We're going to apply for a new social security number. And he said, I'll get deported. I said, Gussie, no, we're going to apply for a social security number. We're going to amend all the returns using your Proper social security number, and we'll and, and we'll help you through all the IRS stuff. And, and this man makes a lot of money in the produce business. Today he is an American citizen, and 
now. He, he probably owns 50 pieces of property. I mean, very, very successful. And he came here when he was 15 years old. And today at 35, he's, you know, he's an American citizen doing very well. And, uh, but you gotta have someone who's willing to work with you to solve the problem. You gotta do the planning. You gotta come. We had a whole plan of what we were gonna do. And I, I gotta say, I congratulate my whole staff because we worked very diligently to correct all the returns and get everything situated so we could get that citizenship. Well, this is the thing, because I think, and, and I've seen this over and over and over and over again, I often get people who will email me about one thing or another, a question, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a tax lawyer or a tax accountant by any means, but I understand quite a few things. And, and for those things that I don't know, I, I have good friends like you who I can, I can ask for advice. But I see over and over again, people, they don't want to spend the money on professional services because they think that they're saving money. You know what they, <laughs> the biggest complaint we have is when we want to charge someone four or $500 to do the planning. Oh, we don't need to do any planning. Everything's okay. And those are the people that get audited. They get called for failing to file, file things. And I, I said, you should pay the $500. There's nothing. Exactly. This is what I'm saying, you know, or someone will want to get TurboTax or something like that for, I don't even know how much TurboTax costs, and I don't want to get sued here, but, um, you know, some off-the-shelf, off-the-rack type of program for doing their accounting and their bookkeeping for a business. And I'm like, okay, but you're an expat, and you have a business overseas, and you've got an offshore account. Like, those types of things are not going to cut it at all. Spend the money, work with a professional who's actually going to be on your side and wants to see you do well. And my goodness, you're going to you're going to save yourself tenfold, a hundredfold. I couldn't I couldn't even imagine how much in the long run how beneficial working with a real professional who understands these things is going to do for you. All right. And, and and interesting, the problem is some of these people have made a lot of money offshore. And all they had to do is if they're doing things right, they could end up with instead of an IRA account where they're making investments, they could have a four four oh one K cash balance plan, which is a defined benefit plan and a four one K plan, and be putting away two hundred thousand a year to accumulate for retirement or for whatever. The, the the bottom line is there's so many things you can do. But they don't want to do the planning. They don't want to come in and pay for some really good thought process. And, and I think that's where, you know, when I get someone, now I can't do entities, but I can call Joel Nagel. He can do international entities. Um, I don't claim to be an expert in tax in Dubai or Germany or whatever, although I, Mexico, I know quite a bit about their tax system because I, I was spending at least uh, three, four days every other week in Mexico working for developers and whatever, doing seminars for Americans buying property. And and I think I said to them, Hey, let's do this right. Don't don't just go buy the property and then complain when you get caught that you didn't file the proper forms. Let's set it up properly. Let's set up the proper entities. Let's let's set up the proper tax planning. Let's get this done correctly so you can keep more of what you make. That's the whole key. If you don't do planning, you're not going to get anywhere. And I built my whole practice. I had a pension company where I had four or five guys steal a million and a half bucks from me. And uh, it, it, I actually really destroyed my personality when it comes to taking off part. We don't have any partners in our company here other than my son and I and future with my grandson uh, because uh, I, I just, I share income. I don't, I don't want to make partners. Yeah, I don't want equity partners. And it's worked out very well. All my associates are making very good livings because we taught them what to do. We have all these entities where they can make money off of and they have to get properly licensed. And, and we go on down the road because, you know, you gotta, you gotta plan. You gotta make sure where we're at. And, and we've done seminars for Every major hospital group, in fact, I know Scott down in Florida when he was uh, CEO of Humana, HCA, and, and I 
I know all, you know, I know the head of the Florida Osteopathic. I knew the, all the people at Hector's Medical, Oklahoma Medical, um, where I did seminars for years. But again, you need to have people who can show you how to keep more of what you make. And there's so many ways to do it. And you just have to keep your fingers on the pulse of your business and make sure you're keeping things straight. Got to have good professionals. Well, absolutely. Like a good CPA, a good accountant, a good tax lawyer, like people like this are worth their weight in gold. <laughs> like, I don't know why people don't understand. And you want to pay them well, you know? Don't nickel and dime your accountant. Don't nickel and dime your CPA. Like, God, you, you spend an extra couple hundred bucks with them and the, the magic that they can do, uh, it's, it's worth a fortune. I can't begin to tell you how many people we've saved. We've saved millions of dollars for people. I'm convinced. I, I haven't ever added it up. But I know when we come in and take over a client, we have a client that a very big marketing consultant who has taken over business. Got one in particular who's taken over business. And the fellow gave up the business because business got so bad he couldn't handle the, the stress of running the business. And the marketing guy took it over, and today he, he's got international clients all over, and we handle all the bookkeeping and accounting because of the strength of our firm. And and we make more, we make, I guarantee you, we save them and make them more than they would if they didn't pay us. Well, it's so interesting because so often the, the, the sexy part is the offense. It's how can I make more money? How can I earn more money? Higher returns, things like this, the new deal. But as I grow a little bit older and have a little bit more experience, I realize more than anything, it's really the defense. It's protecting your downside. It's saving the money and putting it into vehicles that are are safe and and not speculative and making sure that you're always tax compliant, that you're not getting a big chunk of it eaten by the government. You know, it, it's that downside that really, really uh, interests me these days. And, and I work so hard on, with my own clients on helping them to preserve wealth. Yeah, we need to do it. It's good to invest, but it's good to invest smart in a smart manner. And it's good to think about those vehicles that you can get that will also not hit your pocketbook because of the amount of tax you have to pay. So when I was doing, I want to change gears a little bit here, Maury. When I was doing my research on you, I saw that you did tax, you did tax work with Richard Pryor, that you were working with people like Jimmy Hoffa, like all these, these big name celebrities that we know, or I don't know if Jimmy Hoffa would be considered a celebrity, but he's definitely a famous name. I'm wondering if you have any stories, if you can tell me kind of what that was like. Well, the Jimmy Hoffa case um, was really interesting. He, his, he, the Teamsters used to own all the audits, all the hotels on Midway, uh, on Cicero Avenue next to Midway Airport. They owned every motel and hotel. And the IRS came in and audited them and uh, told the Teamsters, you know, you know, Jimmy Hoffa, you owe us $20 million. And my job at that CPA firm, because they heard that I was a good auditor, was to audit the clients and come up with the numbers that I felt or the firm felt that that Hoffa really owed the IRS. So they put me in the one of these old loft buildings, you know, where the dust was so thick you could barely breathe. Uh, this was back in 1962, 63 actually 65 and so they brought all the files over there and because I also the firm that merged into Alexander Grant also did big hotel change so I knew hotel auditing so I was very in tune and they said okay try to figure out what what he really owes the IRS so, so I sit up there for like six months I'm up there every day by yourself or you it was you in a team oh by myself I didn't even have any I didn't have any juniors, as we call them. I, I was the senior on the job, and I had to do all the work because I was the good auditor. You know, that's that's what where I really was trained with the big CPA firms because uh, I worked for four or five different ones. And I, so I, they got me up there. I went through all these files. All, and back then, and you're too young, but back then we used what we call pegboard systems. 
to, to record receipts and record uh, expenses and whatever. Pegboard is where you wrote on one slip of paper and it went through onto the journal, the journal page. Anyway, start going through everything and get it all done. Bill Topel and Bill Foreman were two special agents of the IRS. So they said, okay, we're going to have the meeting at the Palmer House Hotel downtown. And Maury, you got to come with because you did all the work. So we get into the room and here's Jimmy Hoffa, short little guy. Every third word out of his mouth, mouth was a cuss word. <laughs> I can imagine. And you look up at the top of this, near the banquet hall, and at the top, you know, they had a second floor, he had guards. And he sat at the end of the camera, I can even picture it right now in my mind. He sat on the left, next to him was the fellow who ran the motels. And I'm not going to mention his name because, you know, appropriate. But so, so I'm sitting there, Bill Topel stands up and he says, Mr. Hoffa, let me explain to you. He says, all I want to know is how much do you really owe? And Bill Topel says, well, I think the number, according to Mr. Blazer, is 40 million, not 20 million. <laughs> and Hoffa said, what? You gotta be kidding. You're supposed to save me taxes. And you're telling me you owe more? Oh, Maury, what a story. See, I, I am telling all my listeners here to, to work with a good CPA because they're going to end up saving you money. And now you've doubled, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say poor Jimmy Hoffa. I wouldn't say let poor Jimmy finish, Hoffa. Let me finish the story. <laughs> so, so Hoffa says to Topo, now I want to talk to Glazer. Let Glazer explain what he did. I want to know how I came up with this terrible number. And he says, Mr. Glazer, stand up. You're on the floor. You got to tell me what what's going on here. So I stand up and I'm talking about pegboard systems and how I checked all the deposits and how I checked all the receipts and you know I go through all the craziness in regards to auditing and uh, came down to the point and said, yeah, it comes out that that uh, your man here somehow we're missing a lot of money and. We tried to find it. We try to audit all the banks. We make calls to banks and whatever. We can't find where the money is. It's got to be in the ground somewhere, in the backyard or something. Because we owe taxes like $40 million. He said, that's a lot of money to be missing. Not only the amount that we owe the tax, but what about the gross amount? I said, well, here's the worksheet. And uh, I said, you know, if I found it, I'm sure the IRS is going to be able to come up with the same numbers, if not more. And uh, he just said, the IRS is not going to be happy. And he bet, I said, Mr. X has to be really concerned. And uh, office stood up and said, you know, Mr. Glazer, Mr. Lopel, Mr. Foreman, Mr. S does not have to worry about the IRS. And he kissed him on the forehead. And that's a true story. I walked out that day with my bosses because it was lunch. And I turned to him and I said, Bill, Bill, I quit. He said, why, why are you quitting? I said, Bill, you guys are special agents. Are you carrying your gun today? And they of course said, yes. I said, well, I'm not carrying my gun because I thought that would be inappropriate in the circumstance. But I quit. I, I can't handle this. It's too much stress. I got a bimbo for a wife and two young kids. And, you know, I already got out of it. It didn't go to Vietnam, thank God. I said, I am not going to be killed by some guy who kisses his top guy on the forehead. Well, that, that just, that just for show. I said, don't you think I watch those movies? So, okay. Okay. So, I'm trying to figure out the uh, the timeline here. So, so Jimmy Hoffa was already in prison at this point. No, he was okay. So he hadn't gone to prison yet. No. And then, what year did he disappear? Quote unquote. I have no idea, but I just saw I had a men's club meeting with a group that we meet with once a month, and they had a Secret Service guy who said that he was kidnapped. And ground up and whatever. And then just a few days ago on one of these 
news shows, they had the same guy on, on there, and he said the same story again. And another guy said, no, that isn't what happened to him. Something else happened to him. I had to turn it off. All that brings up bad memories. Yeah, they're too close to home. Jeez. Yeah. It, it, was, it was interesting. I got, but those are the kind of experiences that make good accountants. <laughs> no, not really, because I, I, I mean, I really was a great auditor. And uh, I had uh, firms that I worked for, uh, like Alex Knopfler, when he merged uh, his firm into Ernst and Winnie. He wanted me to come with him. He said, I'll make you a record. I said, I don't want to be a partner. I said, those guys don't like my style of auditing. They they all get nervous because their, their bonus is going to get caught because they spend too much time auditing. I quit. I'm not going to sell. And that's when I, I went into the pension business. I sold my accounting practice, went into the pension. Now, I've got to remember, I'm working 20 hours a day between my own firm and working for the major CPA group. Well, I can't help but imagine, Maury, if, you know, Jimmy Hoffer and uh, the Teamsters and stuff like that had have worked with a proper CPA, maybe someone like yourself, from the beginning, instead of having to audit them, they wouldn't have been in that type of situation and everything would have played out completely differently. Correct. Absolutely. And and that's, that's in every case that I've ever been involved in. If they would have had... To, Proper planning, proper, we have bookkeeping, we have accounting, we have tax preparation, we have tax defense. We don't want to get to the tax defense. We're constantly trying to back people up and say, hey, let's do this correctly. Let's pay your payroll taxes. Let's pay your income taxes. Let's, let's, let's think about logical ways to do tax planning. Do the family limited partnership. Do the defined benefit pension plan. Do the you know, there's things you can do that are correct that won't get you in trouble. Okay, let's do all, you know, let's research. Tell us about all your business. Tell us about the stuff offshore. Okay. You know, because there's plenty of people who who think that they don't have to report things that were willed them by their grandmother that's in Switzerland. You know, there's pl- plenty of things you can do ahead of time to stop what's going on. Uh, and and the, the issue is that that you don't need to... The cost of, you know, people ask me why I have so many friends that are attorneys. And I say, well, I cannot afford to defend myself. <laughs> so you, you, you're going to rely on that pro bono work, uh, goodwill that you've already built up over the years. No, and I'm going to try to do things properly as we go along. I don't have any international assets. It's not because I haven't had the opportunity, but I do not want to deal with that issue, so I don't go that way. I probably could have made a lot of money investing in certain things offshore, but I, I don't want to do that. So I'm, I'm in the 401k. I'm in, okay, how, how can I start? Increase that 401k deduction. How can I, how can I do defined benefit pension plan? How can I do a cash balance plan? That, that's more my style. And then for my clients, I just want to say, hey, you can do these other things. You don't have to do things that could potentially cost you everything that you have. Or like, off the floor to jail. Well, and I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again because it is worth repeating. Although philosophically, I am a hundred percent against income tax. In a practical sense, I am very. I follow the rules. I follow the laws. I do not want men with guns to show up at my house and throw me in a cage. You know, philosophically, I believe that it is wrong, but I still follow the rules. I still follow the laws. And I, and I never help anyone break the laws. That's why I, I work with uh, professionals such as yourself, because, you know, it's never worth it. It's, it's just not worth it. Well, you want, you want to keep as much as you can for your family. But, you know, to, to do those kind of things and get into issues that you can't. I've, I've had two or three clients where I've had the guys with the gold badges show up at the door. Okay. It's scary stuff. Even if it's not my, stuff. You know, they're not coming to me, they're coming to for a client. And uh 
Uh, we work very diligently to try to maneuver out of those scenarios to get the people. You know, the main thing is people just don't understand when they're, when they're making money, you're going to pay tax. And it doesn't matter that you're offshore. In Mexico, it's a very difficult situation with the Hacienda. In fact, the Hacienda, when I was doing the seminars every week for developers and whatever, they'd come up to me and say, we can't talk about planning. I'm not telling your, your Mexican citizens to, what to do. I don't do Mexican tax. I, I do U.S. tax. These are U.S. citizens. And I'm just trying to tell them that they have to follow the rules, even if they're in Mexico. And if they're in Mexico making money, then they have to pay the Mexican tax. You need to get a Mexican CPA or accountant that knows what the heck they're doing. And I have people that I'm affiliated with in Guadalajara and wherever to make sure that we set up the proper entities and do the proper accounting and tax work for Mexico. So we just need people just need to know that hey, there's no free lunch and every government is looking for their share of the profit. Absolutely. I understand that one a hundred percent. I think it's important the conversation we're having today because Honestly, the conversation could have gone in, in many different ways, and, and we could have gone through here and, and talked about this form and that form, but I didn't want that to be the conversation. Number one, because most people would never find it interesting. Like, maybe a couple people would. I, I might find it interesting, but most people, it might put them to sleep. I think more than anything, I want people to understand that it is so important to no matter what we believe, what we think, what we feel on the inside, that at this point we still need to stay compliant. And and it is worthwhile to work with people who understand these things. And when you pay for good help, putting these strategies in place, you are actually the one who is going to be rewarded. It actually doesn't cost you money. It makes you money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't it? And the other issue is the fact that, that, uh, you know, they might look at us and say, hey, you're, you're just, you're just trying to make more and more money off of us. No, we are trying to protect you from the potential pitfalls of not doing things correctly. Because I can't imagine anything worse than, you know, showing up back in North America, walking up. <laughs> at the airport and you know government agents being there and confiscating your passport when you came back to visit your kids or visit your family or something like that or putting you in jail or putting you in jail like god like i i talked to uh, an american pilot i don't know about a month ago i want to say i got several of those oh and it's like this guy had not filed a tax return in more than three years and and i ha i know quite a few pilots these guys make a quarter million dollars a year and he's he's not filing tax returns, and I'm like, do do you know what could happen? Like they could take your passport away from you, and you will not be able to travel anymore. And you don't have a second passport to travel on, and you know all of your pilot license and everything are connected to your U.S. passport. If they take that away from you, you're screwed. Like <laughs> there goes your livelihood. There was just an article. I don't remember what where I read it where these pilots, these helicopter pilots in Iraq and Iran uh, and uh, Kuwait and whatever, uh, and they have a lot of contact with the tax so, And, you know, you can't mess around. You might only make $100,000 a year, but you've got to do it correctly. You can't, you know, because you could lose your whole livelihood. And it's not only pilots, it's teachers and Contractors who who go in and work the, the tough stuff, and you know, and I just hey, let us do the things that are correct. Don't don't get caught in a situation where you you end up potentially in jail. It's not worth it. Not worth it. Got to do it right. There's ways, and, and I really I am a planner, not necessarily a tax planner. I'm a lifestyle um, person. You, you gotta create a good lifestyle. You gotta do the lifestyle plan. You gotta plan for, for life, for, for, uh, for you and your family. And you gotta make sure that you don't get 
you're going down the wrong road. There's so many people. When you look at Joel Nagel, he is one of the ultimate, you know, international tax attorneys. Yeah, he's not, he's not, sometimes he's not even reasonable in cost, but he's doing the best job because he knows what to do. And, and I say, hey, gotta listen to people and understand that we're not trying to take their money away. We're trying to create more network. That's the job. We're not, we're not really, I'm not, I don't consider myself a tax preparer. I'm considering myself a wealth creator. How do we do it? How do we, and how do we protect what we make? And don't do things that are stupid. Well, Maury, that comes down to exactly what I say all the time. Like, I'm 35 years old. I want to learn from people who have a lot more experience than me. You know, I'm not so cocky that I think I know it all. If anything, I, I feel like I'm at the beginning of my journey. And that's why I'm so excited to have someone like you on the show who has been through so much, who've had so many experiences. And, you know, to get to pick your brain about these different types of things. I think it's so fun. And, and it's interesting. I would refer to uh, Diana Ross and Richard Pryor by a woman named Benita Van Caspel, who her model was buy term and invest the difference. And interestingly, she bought a, a whole life insurance policy from my firm. Okay. And she, 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 she sold the theory of buy term and invest the difference. And, and not that I don't agree with her, but when it came time, you got, she, she bought a whole life insurance policy. And there were reasons why she did it. it was, you know, sort of like, why, why would you do that? Well, because of asset protection. Richard Pryor said to me, he wanted to buy life insurance. And I was working with him. And I said, Mr. Pryor, with all due respect, didn't you just have an episode where you had a problem? He said, yeah, I blew my, you know, ex rear end out of my house because I got careless. I said, that's why we got to do things that are appropriate. Got to be careful. You know, life, life, life is too short. Don't, don't, don't mess it up. And I say the same thing to you, Nicole. I, so you got it. You got a good thing going. You got to expand on that. I've got my fellow who hopefully will allow me to expand, get your the podcast out on my website and on my, uh, you know, on my email list. Because I want to expand. I'm going to go back in and do Tuesdays with Morley again, and I'm going to do it differently because I don't think I reached the people I should. And my friend Robert Watson, who's the CEO of this company I'm invested in, we are going to make that company successful again. And we are going to, you know, set up the, the 401k again. We're going to do things that make sense. We don't want to go down the bankruptcy route. We want to go to the successful route. I just love because, and, and I hope you don't mind me telling my listeners. So Maury is 78 years old, guys. And he is in the office every day at 7.30 in the morning, CEO of a major company. And... And still so passionate and excited about this. Like, seriously, Maury, you're my hero. Because, like, if I'm doing things like this at your age, like, I know I've done something right. This is amazing. And that's why I tell my urologist, I say, I still do everything I did when I was 18. And he said, you got to be kidding. I said, no, you've got to have spirit and you got to have faith and you've got to do whatever you need to do to stay active. You gotta do it. You, you can't, can't sit at home and, and feel sorry for yourself. And, you know, I've had brain surgery. I've had a heart, heart attack. I, I've had those issues, but you gotta get back on board and, and keep moving forward. And, and the reason I'm here is I want to make sure my, not only my son, but my grandsons are, are in the business and making a living. And if my youngest daughter will come back to Dallas, I put her to work also. Because I, in fact, I, you know, I'd like her to do something in Portland where she is now for her husband's a physicist. I, I, I really want to train them to think about 
ongoing life, what they can be to be. And Glazer Financial, I have made a lot of my employees good money over the years. And I want them to continue to speak intelligently. And I still, I read every day, I read tons of information. The, the, when I was in my master's program, one last thing, when I was in my master's program, the, Mr. Fox failed me on an exam that I got a hundred on. And he said, Maury, you gotta just keep reading. Don't, don't worry about memorizing it. You just keep, cause you gotta keep learning. You gotta keep seeing what's new, what's out there. You gotta, you got to take care of things. And he was one of the major factors, even though I didn't get my MBA, which I was very disappointed. But he did it now more and whatever. It just didn't fit into the project. Well, I love it. Sounds like uh, you're on a mission, Maury. I'm on a mission to stay to alive. My goal right now is 100. Oh, you'll do that. You'll do that piece, piece of cake. Yeah, well, I think so. I've lost 200. And, you know, I weigh 358. I weigh 150 right now. I know. When you told me that when we were on the phone last time or, or earlier, I was like, what? I've seen pictures of you. There's no way. Like, how does that, uh, let's save those stories for next time, Maury, because uh, otherwise we're going to go on all day. I think, uh, I think me and you could chat all day. No problem. Whatever I can do. And, and, and just, you know, I sort of taken off my, one of my uh, functions in the company used to be to talk to all the clients, but my son, Teresa Johnson, who's my top international gal, they said to me, dad. Don't, we got to take you off of that. We need to make sure that the people come in and get, let us do a plan. Let's not, let's, let's not talk to them for two hours and, and they, they end up not getting what they need to get, which is a plan. Now, we don't want to just give them all the data. We want to, we need them to come in so we can save them from themselves. And I, and I agree with that. I love it. Brilliant, Maury. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I want to thank you for the opportunity to deal with someone who's young, who's going to spread the word about what you need to do to be successful. That's why you're having people like Joel Nagel and I don't know who else you've had on your program, but I am going to research it because there's so many things that, that we all can sort of like expand out there so that they know that there's information they can gather and take care of their families and their wealth and you know because they put back in the estate tax again are you an american citizen i am not i'm a canadian citizen you're a canadian citizen we're gonna we we could reverse everything you know we look at the stock market even today you know i'm a stockbroker i'm a you know i'm an insurance agent i'm I've done all that, that the market's up again. We've, we've got to continue to build our network. And everybody needs to remember that the idea is, is to make everybody be more successful. And they don't have to rely on the government. We can help even the, uh, the, the people in the U.S. who are, what do you call them, uh, the, 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 this, the people who have been put in the uh, category, uh, you know, we, we got to make sure that they understand that they can be successful. They don't have to take government handouts. They don't have to do it. We want to make people self-sufficient. That's my job. I My job is to make sure that people can create better networks and they don't have to rely on the government, you know, subsidies and things like that. They can build their own businesses. They can invest offshore. They can move offshore. I didn't do it because I look at things that, you know, haven't had a heart attack, whatever it is. You know, I want to stay in the United States. I got to make sure my family is taken care of. That makes perfect sense. So, Maury, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about what you do, where can we send them? Okay. My website is glazerfinancial.com or expattaxexpert.net and my uh, my phone number at the office is 972 
my web, my email is mglazer at Glazer Financial. Brilliant. Maury, you're so full of life. I love it. It's so brilliant. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Maury? Take care. You are not facing global uncertainty alone. There is help. Arm yourself with the foresight that only Early Warning Report, EWR, can provide. Since 1991, Richard Mayberry, editor of Early Warning Report, has guided readers in simple, fast-reading, direct language toward ways to protect their wealth against political, military, and financial chaos governments are causing around the world. The performance of your investments is determined mostly by the performance of the economy, and the performance of the economy is determined by law and politics. To know how your investments will behave, you must know how governments will behave. Often citing historical parallels, Early Warning Report doesn't just explain what is happening to you. It suggests ways to protect your savings. It suggests ways to protect your savings and earn profits. We challenge you to find any publication with a better track record. Between 1989 and 2007, geopolitics and the military events were dominant, offering huge profits. From 2007 to 2017, economics was the focus. Now Mr. Mayberry forecasts that geopolitics and military events have returned to center stage. These revelations and insights are available only in Early Warning Report. Take advantage of this time-limited offer. Order today. Join the exclusive group of well-informed readers who are highly skeptical of the analysis they receive from the mainstream media. Claim your 40% off of the cover price of Early Warning Report. Just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash EWR. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.